You're not giving me easy questions, man. I thought we'd gonna start with some casual conversations about, you know, uh, marketing and what what B2B says. <laughs> nope, we're jumping in. We're going for it. <laughs> You're going for it. <laughs> Welcome to episode 26 of B2B SaaS Marketing Snacks. I'm back. Thank you very much to Richard, my friend, my man, uh, for holding down the fort the last couple of weeks. I appreciate you. Today, we are going to be talking about uh, ideal customer profiles again, except today's conversation is going to be much more tactical. So we're talking about a lot more of the nitty gritty specifics um, than in previous conversations. So in episode 15, we talked about turning customers down and how to nail your niche. In 16, we talked about how to verify your ICP, but we never really went into detail about how to define it. And we've gotten a lot of feedback from listeners that ICPs are something that um, is, a, is an interesting topic and they want to learn more. So here we are. Um, so today we talk about what your ICP should look like, how to use your existing you know, CRM data to, the, to outline it, to define it better, how to use segmentation models depending on the maturity of your product and your market. Um, to make your ICP look the way that it should, um, what it is, how you use it, mistakes we often see people make, how long it should be, uh, how often you should revisit it, things like this are kind of what we get into today. Before we jump into it, I want to give uh, one other shout out to T2D3, which is um, the book that Stein is writing that documents a lot of the playbook that we use at Kalungi for the, the clients that we have. Um, if you go to t2d3.pro, you will see a form to register for early access. In that form, there is a field that asks who referred you. If you, if you type in B2B SaaS marketing snacks, BSMS, or the podcast, whatever you may please, uh, you will get an extra entry to win a free book. So if that is interesting to you, have at it. Otherwise, um... Without further ado, let's jump into it. So in a, in a previous episode, we talked about um, your ideal customer profile, but we, we talked about how to confirm it um, using uh, go-to-market tests, but we didn't really talk a lot about how to uh, define it and get to it, why you need an ICP, what it is, uh, how you can create one, and... Um, uh, yeah, all those kind of components. So I wanted to center today's conversation around that. Um, I have lots of thoughts. So I, I can maybe start off and you can tell me if you agree with my understanding of this. Um, and maybe uh, we can have a conversation about where we maybe dissent a little bit, if that's the case. So I guess the, the first kind of question that usually comes up when people are... Um, starting to look into their ICP, which a lot of cases, um, people will come actually search uh, B2B SaaS ICP, which will lead them to one of our blog posts on our website. Um, and the questions that people have actually direct messaged me on LinkedIn relating to them or to that, that topic is what is it and why do you need it? Um, and the way that I define an ICP I think there's a lot of definitions online. It, it varies greatly. But the way that I see it is it's a list of 
characteristics and identifiers that you use to outline the ideal account for your product. So the ideal account being one that's it has the highest likelihood of getting a value from your product and staying with you long term. So these are the ones that you have the best ability to service, the ones that are going to become happy customers and hopefully become great referrals for you down the road. Um, is that kind of in line with how you understand the ICP or would you define it differently? No, I think that's a great, great initial definition, Mike. I think the word ideal, of course, uh, also can change over time. Yeah. So when you're a young company, what's ideal today might not be ideal tomorrow. Sure. Uh, for example, there are big risks um, with, when you're a startup, when you're a small software venture to get customers that are, for example, too big, right? That can be very demanding and could almost, you know, become uh, a magnet that pulls you in the wrong direction, right? I've seen small software companies dedicate half of their R&D capacity just to service one client, which of course was fantastic from a financial perspective to get some initial revenue in the door, but did not necessarily mean that that was ideal long-term. So ideal, um, ideal customer profiles change over time. The other thing is that ideal customer profiles for you know, targeting purposes, who do you optimize your messaging for? Where do you go look for more prospects? Uh, can work in a relatively more traditional attributes, like how big are these customers? What industries are they in? What type of technologies do they use? As soon as you also need to apply it for inbound marketing, for what content do you build? How do you um, optimize the, uh, the things you say and the messages and the nurture you do during the customer journey? Things like the jobs to be done also become very important, right? And it's a, it's a mistake to think of ICP only in the form of demographics, firmographics, technographics. Sure. You have to add this, you know, what do the individual people actually care about component. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's done with personas as an extra layer on top of the ideal customer profile definition. But you more and more see that the job to be done framework, which is more about the work, and less about what the, the individual people look like, um, that that is also very helpful. So I think, yeah, let's focus on ICP today, but there's this richer other topic around it, around the people behind the ICP who work there um, that you also want to think about. 100%. Um, and so you talked about something where I think a lot of uh, early stage companies tend to make a mistake on, which is they define their ICP as what they, you know, it, it defines this account that they think they want to go after. So they think they want this big enterprise because it's going to bring them a lot of money. And, you know, it sounds really nice on paper. Um, but I think, you know, there's two, there's two kind of scenarios where you're creating your ICP. One is where you don't have any data to start with, right? So you're, you're really just getting started. You've got an MVP, you're kind of testing it out in the market and you're trying to, you're doing a little bit more guessing at what your ICP is, what those kind of characteristics are that define your ideal account. And then the second scenario is you've, you know, you're kind of beyond the MVP stage and you're moving towards product market fit and you do have a little bit of data and you do have, um, you have a database of customers that you already have that you can dig into and look to for insights here. So what I think is really important 
you know, when you're just getting started, you, you kind of have to make some some guesses, some uh, make some bets a little bit when you're defining your ICP. But when you do have some data, there's no reason not to use it. So I think you have to look at um, your existing customer database, like do a full export of it, highlight only the accounts that are really good fits for you, the ones that cost, as you were saying, Stein, the least to service, that pay you the most, that are the happiest. Just look at that group and try to find patterns between them. So like, what are the characteristics that they share that you can then take and as uses filters to stamp onto your total market um, to find more of them that look like them. And I think when people, when we work with clients, even when we're talking to prospects on sales calls, that tends to be the biggest misunderstanding of what an ICP should be. It's not what you, it's not the account that you want to go after, it's the account that you've already you know, identified as being the best possible fit. So now you need to go find more that look like them. Yeah, it's really important that you base it on real data, right? Ideal customer profiles are best grounded in what has been successful so far instead of what do you hope would be successful. You touched on something else, um, you know, the cost to service, the cost to acquire a customer, and versus the value of that customer. I think that's a really important point, Mike, that what ideal means for you as a company changes given of where you are in your growth maturity journey. And we have these four stages that we um, like to think about. You know, you're getting to MVP, minimum viable product, and then you go to product market fit. And after product market fit, you try to hit exponential growth, you know, often following the the T2D3 model, uh, tripling um, your ARR two years in a row, doubling it three more years in a row. And then finally, you get to what we call the rule of 40 um, land, right? Where companies need to turn from high scale to high profitability and to to turn sort of that corner of becoming a f what's called a 40% company that, that has a combined growth rate and profitability of 40%. So, for those four stages, Mike, here are some thoughts on what the ideal you know, customer profile could look like, right? For the first one, for an MVP, an ideal customer gives you a ton of feedback, gives you fantastic you know, inputs to improve the way your product is fitting the market so you can then build for product market fit. So an ideal customer profile, when you're still in MVP stage, is not about how big they are, or even maybe in what industry they are. It's about how willing are they to give you a lot of feedback, to test your product, to participate in building the product with you. Sure. That's an ideal customer profile attribute when you're early stage. When you're getting to product market fit, now you want customers who provide you testimonials, right? And give you great quotes, even if they're not that big. Mm -hmm. You know, you want the ones that help you, what's called cross the chasm, right? The problem with getting the product market fit is really to go from the early adopters who are going to be super excited about your product, but they may not be willing to talk about it with others, right? To get some of this early majority uh, who will provide you testimonials, who will help others, you know, who look like them get, you know, t trust your product and help you build credibility. So in that product market fit stage, your ideal customer profile includes the ones who will provide testimonials or the ones who you're able to service so well that it will yield testimonials, right? Sure. 
And then the ideal customer profile, when you have to hit that exponential growth curve, at T2D3 is about lifetime value of the customer. What's the total value that this customer will bring to you divided by the cost to acquire those customers, right? That's what you do when you want to hit T2D3 scale. You want to get as many customers with as high value as possible, high ARPU, low churn, uh, for the lowest customer acquisition cost. And then in the last phase, when you go to the 40% rule, to turn from high scale to profitable growth, you now need to find customers with a high lifetime value, so still high ARPU, low churn, but now with the lowest cost to service, not just low acquisition cost, but also low, low cost to service. So, so that's kind of ideal customer, probably is different things based on where you are in that growth journey. But then to your point, it's those, those attributes that will lead you to help you find more of those. And so as you're going through that, through the, you know, the typical journey of growth as a company, how often should you revisit your ICP to make sure it's, it's updated? And my, my, the article that I have on our site, the, one of the last kind of next steps is keep it fresh, is, is I think what I said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is to keep updating it. Um, and I've looked at it, you know, like I think maybe once a year, but I'm curious to hear what your, what your thoughts are and how often you should be revisiting it. I think revisiting it too often just causes confusion and doesn't give you enough time to actually put into practice what you've defined and learn anything from it to see if it's actually right or wrong. Um, but I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, if you think of the four roles in the customer journey um, for a SaaS company, it's really marketing, sales, right? initial sales, driving new AR, marketing drives MQLs, just simplifying it a little bit now. Sales drive new ARR. Mm -hmm. Then you have account management, people who manage those existing account relationships to, uh, to improve basically the lifetime value of these customers, mostly through ARPU, right? Our expansion of these accounts, of course, reduce churn, but then also um, improve ARPU. And then sometimes that's called customer success when you really drive focus on that churn reduction. And I think that's, that's where your answer lies. I think as soon as you see the churn numbers indicate that your ICP needs updating. Sure. Um, that's a great moment to do so. Uh, another time is when your marketing and sales team feels they're running out of markets to go after, right? And that is, of course, a very sensitive discussion because marketing and sales will typically want to go broader than you may want to as an early stage company. So you want to, you know, not unleash all that. <laughs> Stay really focused on the clients you can serve as well. But especially when, you know, marketing and sales have done a good job, you're nailing that niche and you're a, you're a market leader in your space, then of course you need to expand it. But then let customer success and the churn numbers tell you when you're doing that in the wrong places. Um, if it doesn't lead to great, happy customers and testimonials, then you need to revisit that as well. Sure. So the longer your sales cycles, essentially, the the higher the ACV you have, generally the more or the longer it's going to take for you to get enough feedback to actually determine whether or not you should be widening or you know, I guess, what's the opposite, broadening or specifying. Yeah, that's know. a great point, right? The, the size of your typical client, whether you're, you know, chasing rabbits or hunting deer or signing up <laughs> elephants, will make it a little different in sort of how quick your feedback loop is, what yeah. the type of sale motion as you're running, right? Do you actually have people 
in your sales team talking with customers that allow you to get that feedback or is it more of a self-service sign-up product-led growth engine mm -hmm. uh, so that will that will make it a little harder sometimes to get that information cool and there's one more like kind of big thing that i wanted to talk to you about which was the the segment like what what the icp should look like and then also what the segmentation models are depending on the maturity of your market um i think it it really depends if you look up icp online there's a lot of different resources that tell you it should be this long drawn out document there are some that say it should be really short i tend to you know, lean more towards the short side. I like to say you should be able to fit your ICP onto a single slide and it should be very simple and um, very clear and straightforward. Like even just some bullet points that tell you what the firmographic, technographic filters are with a few signals that tell you if they're a better fit versus others, I think is enough as long as it gives you filters to take and apply onto your total addressable market and make it smaller. That tends to be my my approach towards it. Um, if you go onto our site and search in the blog ICP, you'll see the, the article, which is how to define your ICP. And attached to that is a template. And there's a, there's a slide that actually helps you build your ICP. Um, but you, Stein, in the in the book, you have this interesting kind of model for defining um, which kind of, it's like different segmentation methods depending on how mature your market is. And it's basically, you take the uh, Jeffrey Moore's adoption curve, um, which is you have these five stages, you have innovators, early adopters, um, early majority, late majority, and laggards. And it, it plots it on a, a chart and then you have these kind of lines that cross through it over time, which is an area chart and basically tells, tells you how you can segment the market at each one of those stages and generally get a good idea for who your ideal customer is. I don't know if you if you can explain that over the podcast, but I'd love to see if we can we can try to do that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I give this a lot of thought like over the years, it is hard to um, split two parts of market segmentation, right? You have the, you have, the, how do you segment companies, businesses? If you're in a B2B space, you, you target certain types of organizations. That's really what we mean when we say ideal customer profile. Yeah. But then you also have the individuals because when we're doing marketing, we're of course marketing to people, right? Yep. To the people who work within those businesses. So you always get this mix of things like firmographics that are, you know, technographics, type of verticals, industries, size of companies. And and you have the the more persona related uh, segmentation, demographics, job to be done is often very similar to that, right? It's more about how individual people are trying to get a certain job done. Um, and so, so there's, there's a reason, you know, to split those up and, and think about personas and job to be done more when you're thinking of content for certain segments of the market and to use more the, the, the company segmentation models when you need to understand what, what type of lists to build for your outbound campaign, or maybe what type of, anal which analyst to try to market to, right? Or to influence, right? They're covering a certain market segment. That's typically the type of companies they cover. 
so this this model that's on page 94 in the book or in chapter five is a little bit of a combo but it comes at it in a different angle so let me try to explain it when your category is maturing at some point in the b2b space there will be someone almost you know accountable in your customer uh, in your customer's organization to buy maybe the type of solution that you're selling let's say you're in a very mature market uh, and you're selling a spend management software some type of solution to match you know invoices with purchase orders with you know delivery no uh, leading bills and things like that if that's a mature market there's probably someone in an organization that has the title you know procurement manager or spend so now demographics that include job title will work in that relatively mature category if the the, the segment the category is even more mature then there might even be companies that are in more need of these type of solutions than others and you can find those you know that certain verticals will have uh, so so firmographics and demographics or things like job titles are very suitable for a mature category where your solution is so well understood that there will be people that have job titles that literally are looking for, to buy what you have to offer right sure. if the category is not so mature then at some point the people you want to target have completely you know, different job titles. You have no idea, right? Project manager this, or a role that is just happens to be, um, you know, having this problem assigned to them, but you have no idea what the title for that job is, right? Maybe you can find when, when it's job to be done, if that's your segmentation model, you can find people who are assigned working on that problem by, for example, what they're describing, they're working on their LinkedIn profile. Sure. It might not be the job title, right? But it might be, hey, I'm in charge of uh, thinking about using artificial intelligence to improve our customer success uh, from uh, customer service or something like that, right? Sure. And now there might not be a job title for that person yet, but at least you know what they're working on. So job to be done might be more suitable if the category is less mature. If you're in a completely in um, um, or in a completely new category. Um, where you're really targeting innovators because you're not only creating a new category, you're looking for other people to help you create that category. Then of course, things like psychographics become more suitable because now you want to look for people who are willing to try new things. People who hang out with other people who try new things. People who have self-declared to being innovators, right? And these are typically the early adopters that hang out in maybe Reddit subgroups that Talk about a problem that you're trying to solve and they, the problem doesn't have a name yet but you find those people who are excited about solving that early on and so i think that's what this graph in the book does it talks about in the early stage of a category innovation early adopter psychographics are probably a great segmentation model job to be done might be super helpful uh, and then as a category matures and you get to early late majority then demographics might be relevant because now certain people will have job titles that relate to the problem that you're solving, that your solution is addressing. And if the category gets even more mature, then you'll be able to say, hey, this, this vertical, this industry, this type of customer has this need more than others, and that's where I should target my segmentation. Cool. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense, yeah. Love it. So that's really helpful. Um, so the last component that you really have is the difference between filters and signals. So on an ICP slide, 
on the left side, I generally like to put the filters, which are those things that you're talking about, which are, you know, firmographics. Um, so, for instance, they have an annual revenue that's greater than one million, or they have a company headcount that is between twenty and a hundred, or they have a person with a job title that is equivalent to X, Y, or Z, right? And then on the right side, um, I like to have signals, um, things that. So if you think about your filters, I like to think about your uh, your total addressable market. Think of it as just a giant. Um, it's a giant sheet of cookie dough, okay? And your ICP is a cookie cutter, okay? And you're basically taking your cookie cutter and you're stamping it on this giant sheet of cookie dough. And now that whatever that cuts out, let's say it's a heart, that heart is your ICP. Now within that heart, there are going to be pieces of that cookie that are going to be more desirable to you than others. Maybe when you cook it, when you, you bake the it, the pieces of chocolate out. Exactly. Yeah. There's pieces of chocolate in it. When you bake it, the edges get crispy and the center is, you know, a little soft, maybe like the softer part. So the signals are what you're going to look at to tell you within that um, ICP, which parts of it do you want first? So when you go and build your list of accounts and contacts to do ABM, who are you going to actually message first? Who is going to be tier one? Who's tier two? So those are the things that you use as signals. So let's say, and they're usually, at least what I've noticed is that they're often not as public or easy to find. So they're kind of like the things that are hiding, as you were mentioning, Stein, in somebody's LinkedIn profile, or that it's you know it's noted somewhere in maybe like a a press release that they received yeah, funding. Yeah, an announcement. Yeah. yeah, it's not usually like a public data point. It's something that you kind of have to identify through conversation or a little bit of research. Um, so some examples would be like, you know, for us, for Kalingi's ICP, we have a signal that if there is a, a recent change in marketing leadership, it's a good signal for us because it means that maybe they had our marketing leader who wasn't a good fit. We kind of serve that function in a lot of cases. Another good signal for us is a company who has uh, recently gotten funding, right? Um, it's not necessarily indicative, it's not a filter, but it's a really good signal for us. Um, so I just wanted to make that distinction as well, that there's a difference between the two, um, and your filters generally will be fewer and your signals generally more. Yeah, your filters are really meant to, to, to filter out all the customers and prospects that you know are not going to be ideal and they actually are even problematic, right? Or you're not sure. going to be able to service them well. Um, and then with, so that's, I think you mentioned total addressable market. There's, I think that's where you go from total addressable market to the SAM, the serviceable part of that addressable market. You're basically saying, this is a group of customers that I can service very well. And these others, I really should not target them because I cannot service them that well. So uh, an industry would be a good example, a certain size of company, et cetera. And then within that serviceable addressable market, you will have a preference of certain customers over others. And that's where you use the signals. And it could be a preference because they have more appetite to, uh, for example, buy your solution faster. Mm -hmm. um, you have limited resources, right? So ideally you rank uh, these prospects in a way that is helpful for you to get the, the most ideal customers first. Um, and that could be because they're hiring for a certain role or they just 
create a budget for it. Or they're in an area of regulatory impact where there's certain, suddenly a certain amount of urgency, right? Those are all great signals that help you go from what part of the market can I potentially service uh -huh. and what part of that market is for me the easiest to obtain. Now you go from sand to sun to the serviceable and obtainable market given you have limited resources, limited time, and it helps you just drive that extra focus. One last technographic that I really like using is um, if you can find it, it can be really helpful for a lot of software products. You often um, are combining or there's a signal that a company is a good fit because they use a certain type of software or you integrate well with a certain type of software. Um, and oftentimes, if you can search um, somebody's profile and see that they've listed they're an expert, let's say in Workday or they're an expert in HubSpot or Pardot, and you integrate with them or because they use that, you may maybe can replace that software or enhance it. That can be another really good filter to look for as well. Filter or signal. Yeah. It's like in a persona when you see people wear certain things, it tells you, hey, are they trying to be cool? Are they trying to be innovative? Are they trying to be, and companies do the same thing. If you see in their technographic profile that they're using certain technologies, it tells you two things. It tells you, are they a good fit, right? A filter, because maybe your software works very well with certain other technologies or not. Or it tells you, hey, they are, they are innovative. They like to try new things. They're, on, they're investing in cutting edge solutions. Or the, or the reverse, they're very conservative in the type of technology, which would also might also indicate a great fit for what you do. Sure. Right, so I think the technographic um, footprint of a company, if you can find it, have, gives you a ton of insights, and it's not you can you can buy technographic data right from list selling companies and things like that. There's all kinds of software that scans for cookies and things that happen on websites that tells you something about the technology companies use. But also to the earlier point, you can go on LinkedIn and find out not based on the typical standard you know LinkedIn profile data, but what people say in their profiles, what type of technology they're using in a certain company. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Anything else on, on ICP? Well, ICP in the end it is about carving out the part of the market you want to go after, you want to focus on. And it's also a very strategic question. It's not just about, okay, which customers have I serviced well in the past? Who are the happiest? Who's given us the most testimonials, lowest churn, etc. It's a great input. Mm -hmm. It's the historic data. But I think maybe as, as a final point, don't forget about what's your strategy here? Are you trying to dominate a certain market? And then of course you want to see, hey, how? what's my beachhead? How have I started and how do I expand in the most you know, um, economic way and, and getting the next set of clients that are, are going to be very happy? But if your strategy is to differentiate, if you're in a very crowded space with a lot of competition and it's like a red ocean, so to speak, then it's all about niching down, right? And finding in that part of the market that may be underserviced, right? That doesn't get exactly what they need. And can you find that part of the market where you can be the unique best provider of a solution for a certain type of industry, for a certain size customer, for a certain job to be done? Or are you trying to disrupt the market, right? Are you trying to find customers who are overserviced, who get more than they need, and uh, you can come up with a complete new positioning and pricing, etc. 
and both, you know, those things should go into your I ICP. What's your historical success? But also, what's your strategy? Are you, are you do you want to dominate a certain market, differentiate, and carve out a new niche, or disrupt an existing market, and, and, and maybe take take a completely different approach to it? Uh, because that will, will, would mean a different ICP uh, potentially in the future than what you've surfaced so far. Great point. And keep it simple. <laughs> keep it simple. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Until it's too simple. Yeah. And then, you know, it's not valuable anymore. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.